Merry Christmas. I'm glad that you are here. Um, I'm going to preach from the book of Malachi. We're going to look this morning at a message I've titled, Righteousness Will Rise. Righteousness Will Rise. And we're going to look at the prophet Malachi and his letter, the last letter from a prophet in the Old Testament. And so when you study the Old Testament, you look at the history of the nation of Israel, of God's people, what you see throughout the history of the nation of Israel, you see, you see that God raises up leaders to speak to them. He raises up, he raised up leaders, prophets and judges to speak to them. And what he would do is, what God would do is he would use his prophets to speak his word to them, to call God's people to himself, to be consecrated unto him. And when you look at the history of the nation of Israel, it was a history of them going around the same mountain of consecration and rebellion and sin and repentance and consecration and rebellion and sin and repentance. And this was the journey and you would see it over and over again. And the prophets would call them back. One generation would worship the Lord then the next generation would forget. And God would raise up a prophet to call them back. You have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Hosea, Amos, Micah, Zechariah. God's people would hear, would repent, return, but often they would not hear. They would not repent and they would be judged. And the last prophetic voice to God's people in the Old Testament is the prophet Malachi. Prophet Malachi speaks. The Lord speaks to the prophet Malachi. And after the close of the book of Malachi, after the, after the close of his prophecy, the prophetic voice of God, the voice of God goes silent for over 400 years. There's no voice from God. Think about how that would be. Think about not having the word of God that we could go to hear the voice of God every single day. Think of the privilege we have as believers today, we can go and hear the voice of God every single day when we open his word. But think about 400 years of no word from God. No voice from God. It went silent. It went dark. But before the years of silence began, after Malachi's prophecies, before those, that silence began, Malachi ends his prophecy with these two verses we're going to look at today. And, and this prophecy that Malachi gives is, is a prophecy about coming judgment at the end of the age. About coming judgment at the end of the age that will come upon the earth. So let's look at Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. It says this, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. So before this judgment of the Lord will come, before the sun of righteousness will rise in judgment, he must rise in the incarnation. Before he will rise, before the, the, the consummation of the age would take place that Malachi was prophesying about, the 400 years of silence is going to be broken and the son of righteousness, which is Christ, is going to rise in his incarnation. God becoming man. He will rise as Emmanuel, God with us. And on this day that we set aside 
for a special celebration of the incarnation, I want us to ponder the realities expressed in this final prophetic word to God's people. And I see a parallel today in our lives and in the world today between what we see in Malachi and what we see in this 400 years of silence. So there's three realities we're going to look at from this prophetic section in Malachi. Three realities. The first one would be this. The darkness is pervasive in the lives of those who reject the light. The darkness is pervasive in the lives of those who reject the light. 400 years of silence. And some some people would have called this period in history the Dark Ages. 400 years of the Dark Ages. And I would just say this. It is truly dark when God goes silent. You ever felt like God's been silent in your life? It's truly dark when God goes silent and he is not speaking to his people. 400 years. Now God... In his, in his mercy, be, before this period of 400 years of silence, God would speak to his people. He'd call them to himself. And it was always this picture. There was always this picture of, of people being translated from darkness into light, leaving the darkness and embracing the light. Listen, listen to what God's word says about those who reject the light of God. Deuteronomy 28 says this, The Lord will strike you with badness and blindness and confusion of mind. And you shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in darkness. And you shall not prosper in your ways. And you shall be only oppressed and robbed continually. And there shall be no one to help you. Wow. The darkness truly is pervasive in the lives of those who reject the light. The light was going to come. The light was going to come. God, Emmanuel, the son of righteousness, was going to rise and break through the 400 years of darkness and silence. But men reject the light. Look at Acts 17. For one man he created, from one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. And he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. You see the picture of blindness, of darkness, feeling your way? Anybody ever felt your way in the darkness? What about when the lights went out at Ellendale last night for homecoming? Did you feel your way in the darkness? I think they had a backup generator that helped you. What about during Hurricane Ida? Did anybody stay and ride ride out the storm? Did you have batteries and your flashlights? You had candles prepared and ready. But what about that time when, when you're not expecting the storm and, I, and you're not, there's not, I is not coming and out of nowhere it goes dark. What do you do? You wake up and you feel your way around the darkness to get to the light. This is the description that God is giving us and showing us about what it's like whenever man rejects the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God breaks through the darkness, the 400 years of silence, and God becomes man. But man rejects the light. Man rejected the light in the days of the Old Testament. And they rejected the light in the days of Christ. And they reject the light today in the day of mercy. And men that walk in darkness, women, men and women, young and old who walk in darkness, it's like they're walking and they're feeling for the light. And I love what it says there in Acts, though he is not far from any one of us. He is right here, ready and willing to restore and to heal anyone that will call out to him for mercy. Second Corinthians 4 says this, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. 
In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The darkness is pervasive in the lives of those who are blinded to the light. The God of this world, not only is there an internal darkness in all of us because of our sinful nature, but there is also a darkness from the enemy, Satan, that blinds people's minds from seeing the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know, you would think surely after 400 plus years of silence that when God breaks through and a baby is born in a manger and he is raised up and he does miracles and he demonstrates on the earth that he was God and he is God, surely you would think that mankind would not reject the light, right? Surely you would think that. You know, we would think that today if God began to walk the earth today, we would all say, oh, there's no way that we would do what the Jews did to Jesus But what we do is when we think that is we underestimate the depravity of the heart of man. That we only want our way all the time. We only want our way all the time. Look at the rejection. This is an interesting prophecy. I I just want to read this. Isaiah 53. This is a prophecy. Listen, so profound. 700 years before the birth of of Christ, not his death or his resurrection, but 700 years before the birth of Christ, as we heard read earlier, before his birth, this prophecy was written. Listen to these words. Isaiah 53, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant And like a root out of dry ground, he had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and what? Rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Who's the we right here? Isaiah 53. The we in Isaiah 53 are the Jews in the future. It's a prophecy 700 years before the birth of Christ, but this is a prophecy actually that is still to be fulfilled where the Jews will look back and they will say, we rejected him. We we did not esteem him as we should have. Wow. Can you imagine the light of the world? God, as a man, walked the earth, healed the sick, raised the dead. And the Jew says, we do not want you. You're not what we're looking for. And still today, men reject the light of the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. They reject him because even today, just as in Jewish days, Jesus is not what they're looking for. And the truth is this, is, this is a reality that we have to think about, is that we don't mind a baby in a manger, do we? We don't mind a baby in a manger, especially whenever it's during a play and our kid is really, really cute, right? We don't mind a baby in a manger. We don't mind... A replacement for Christ in the person of Santa Claus. We don't mind lights around a house or around a tree. We don't mind any of those things. Humanity does not mind those things because those things aren't an intrusion into their soul. Right? What man rejects is why Christ came. What they reject is the light that broke through the darkness over 2,000 years ago as the sinless Son of God whose gospel shines a light into the darkness of our hearts. 
So we don't mind the lights on the tree and the lights on the house and the gift giving and the presents and the cake and the, and the ham from the honey baked store that costs, from the honey baked store that costs $200. We don't mind it. Right? But whenever it's the sinless son of God and his light shines into the darkness of our soul and we're confronted with who we really are, that's whenever we reject. So the world today, they'll say, give us Santa. Give us lights, give us presents, give us trees, but not the tree of Calvary. Right? The 400 years of silence was broken. And through that darkness has shone a great light, a light of the world. And just as men rejected the light of Christ as he walked the earth today, men and women are still rejecting the prophetic voice of Christ as he speaks as our prophet, priest, and king. Still today. So what's the first reality that we see in Malachi is that the darkness is pervasive in the lives of those who reject the light. Secondly, the second reality we see today is that the light is brighter than the sun for those who have eyes to see. Anybody has eyes to see today? The light of Christ for who he really is? Look back at the text in Malachi. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise. But for you. But for you. Any but for you's here today? Any but for you's? But for you who what? Who fear my name. But for you, Jesus is not just a baby in a manger, right? He's not just a story to be read to children once a year. He's not just a baby in a manger, but for you. Christmas doesn't represent gifts or trees or lights. Though I, I, I like presents like the, like, like the next man. I can give you my list if you want it. But for you, for me, Christmas doesn't represent gifts or trees or lights. But for you, Christmas time represents God becoming man. But for you, Jesus is salvation, forgiveness, and freedom. But for you, Jesus is hope, peace, and joy. I love what Isaiah Chapter 9 says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. The darkness is pervasive in the lives of those who are blinded. But for you who fear the Lord, who used to walk in darkness, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has a light shone. Has a light shone on you today? Has the light shone on you today? I love this. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall rest upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Is this who the light of the world is in your life? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. The world can't stop the kingdom of God. Do you know that today? 
of his kingdom, there will be no end. The government can't stop it. Man can't stop it. Evil can't stop the kingdom of God. The light cannot be put out by the darkness. No matter how much consumerism tries to steal away the light of the glory of Christ at this time of year, today is such a special time. Some people will always, some, some people will ask me, Pastor, why celebrate Christmas? Isn't it paganism? Right? Has that have a roots in paganism? And here's, here, here's what I say. What a great opportunity at, at a season, a whole season of a year. And this season keeps expanding. Keeps expanding every year. It gets longer. What a great season to point people to Christ. The world can turn it upside down if they want. But as believers, we will stand as a city on a hill and we will say loudly and boldly that light has broken through the darkness. And his name is Jesus. But for those who fear the name of the Lord, the darkness will never overpower the light of Christ. Amen. Remember the story, the birth of John the Baptist, Zechariah, and and Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest. Elizabeth was barren. And they prayed that God would give them a a baby, give them a, a son. They were barren. Zechariah goes and he prays. He fulfills his priestly duty. And the angel comes and reveals himself to Zechariah. And says, you're going to have a baby. Zechariah says, I don't think this is possible. What happened to him? He went silent. God judged him where he couldn't talk. But then John the Baptist was born. And his tongue was loosed. I even love the section there where it says they got a tablet. When they wanted to know what to name the baby. I just pictured like an iPad, right? He just got a tablet and he wrote John. Right? And then he begins to prophesy. Listen to the prophecy of Zechariah. He prophesies about John, but he prophesies about Christ, the light of the world. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from from an old, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, speaking of John, will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us. The son of righteousness, Malachi, shall rise, right? The sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet by the way of peace. But for you who fear my name, the light will shine. How many of you know that when you live your life surrendered to Christ, it may look dark at times. It may, it may look difficult. It may look challenging. But when the light of Christ has shone in your heart, it is like a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. No matter how dark it gets, you know, you know that at the end of the day, Christ is with you and he is guiding you and his light shines 
for you the direction you should go. The sun of righteousness shall rise. Who is the sunrise that visits us from on high? Who is the sun of righteousness that will rise? It's Jesus. And he is the light that is brighter than the sun. And it is shining brightly today for those who have eyes to see. Those who have eyes to see. Do you have eyes to see? And you see him today? I'll never forget, I was in Bible college, 18 years old. When I was younger, before that, I wore glasses. And um, my parents couldn't afford to get me these nice glasses I have now. I wore the really big ones that you got because you were poor. (laughs) And they were really big on my face. And I wanted to get rid of those as quickly as I could. So at 12 years old, I begged my mom for contacts. I got contacts. I wore contacts 12 until, you know, so I'm 18 years old. I'm in Bible college. I'll never forget. I'm driving from home back to school. And I had one of the worst headaches I think I've ever had in my life. And it's nighttime. And if you know you wear contacts or glasses, when you have a bad headache, one of the things you want to do is you want to take off your contacts or your glasses. I don't condone this. But it's at, it was at night in Baton Rouge. I took off my glasses and drove without, I mean, my contacts and drove without my contacts for 30 minutes to get home at night. Right? And what was it like? What was it like? It was blurry. <laughs> it was blurry. Nothing was really clear. I really couldn't see very well. I made it home. I'm here today. Nobody else got hurt or killed. Right? <laughs> But I, I, I can still picture, I can still picture, you know, the rounded, big edges of things. Nothing was sharp. Nothing was clear. I didn't have eyes to see. I couldn't see correctly. And that is what it is like for anyone who is trying to live this life without the light of Christ. Without the sunrise rising in your heart. Without the sun of righteousness shining his light in you. It's like everything is hazy. Everything is blurry. But if you will have eyes to see today... Not just today, one time per year where you might be here for church or with your family. But if you will embrace Christ today, all the edges will become sharp. You will be able to see clearly. You'll be able to see the path in front of you, which way you're to walk and how you're to live. Christ will change you from the inside out. He will give you new eyes to see. The darkness is pervasive for those who reject the light. And secondly, the light is brighter than the sun. For those who have eyes to see. And thirdly here today. The final reality we want to talk about is this. Is that the healing comes. To comfort and save. Those who are willing. Those who are willing. Look back at the text. Malachi 4.2a. But for you. How many but for you's? Can I hear you? Fear my name. His son of righteousness has risen in your heart. But he's risen with what? Healing in its wings. Wow. What imagery? Healing in its wings. I have two questions when I think about that. I think about what kind of wings bring healing. And what does that mean? Healing in his wings. I'm reminded when I read this and studied this this week, I'm reminded of the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day. 
And really, these are, this is a picture of what we talked about earlier of the nation of Israel, of them receiving God and rejecting God. And, and the scribes and Pharisees were those that whenever Christ came, the son of righteousness came, God became flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. He walked the earth. The scribes and Pharisees were the keepers of the law. They knew the Torah. They had it memorized, especially the Pharisees. They had it memorized. First five books of the Old Testament. They knew it. But they were blinded to who Christ really was. Because they were threatened by his authority and his power. The scribes of Pharisees rejected Christ. And Christ came first to his own people. He came to the house of Israel first. He called them to himself and he demonstrated the reality of who he was. He did the miracles. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. And they still rejected him. And you know what? There, there should have been no confusion. Should have been no confusion. But you know what they called Jesus? They called him full of demons. And why did they call him full of demons? Because they said, you're breaking, you're breaking the law. You're breaking our law. Your, your, your servants are eating, your disciples are eating on the Sabbath. You're healing on the Sabbath. Jesus healed on the Sabbath. They couldn't even see that the man had the power to heal. And they said, you are from the devil because you are breaking the Sabbath by healing on the Sabbath day. They, it should have been obvious. There should have been no confusion that this was the Messiah, the light of the world. But they rejected him. They rejected him. They continually rejected him all the way up until they turned him over to the chief priest. They turned him over to Rome to be crucified. They rejected the continual calling. And I want you to know this is the heart of God. The heart of God. Jesus demonstrated the heart of God. A continual calling of people to himself. Come to me. Come to me. What did Jesus say in the book of Matthew? Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. This is the heart of our God. For all who are willing, all who will hear, all who will have eyes to see, he calls. He says, come. But the scribes and the Pharisees did what? They said no. No, you're of the devil. You're a blasphemer. Why did they kill him? What was his charge? You're a blasphemer. And Jesus writes, towards the end of his earthly life, he writes what's called the seven woes of the scribes and Pharisees. The seven woes. Matthew 23, the seven woes. What does the word woe mean? If you read Matthew 23, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe! To you, scribes and Pharisees, seven times, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And if you're reading it at first glance, you may think, woe is not really a big deal. But what does the word woe mean? The word woe means means this, denunciation, judgment, horror, and dreadful. So when he's looking at the scribes and Pharisees, he's saying, "I, I I I am bringing judgment. I'm speaking judgment on you, horror, and this is dreadful. Seven times. Listen to this. This is just a summary of what he would have said. Matthew 23, he says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe to you, blind guides. What were the scribes and Pharisees? They were the keepers of the law, right? They were to guide people to the truth of God. What does Christ say about them? He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You are blind guides. You don't even know how to walk and embrace the light that is right in front of you. You cannot guide anyone to truth because you're a hypocrite. Woe to you blind guides. Woe to you hypocrites. Woe to you blind fools. He called the scribes and Pharisees fools. 
Because it should have been obvious who he was. What does the Bible say in the book of Psalms? Only a fool says in his heart, there is no God. And only a fool looks at God in the face and says he's of the devil. What did he say at the conclusion? Woe to you, for you are like whitewashed tombs. What's a whitewashed tomb? Right? You have family members, some of you, and you'll go yearly to the tomb. You'll put flowers and you will paint over that tomb because you want that, that tomb to be a bright white color to keep it fresh in honor of your loved one that you lost. Jesus looked at these scribes and Pharisees and says, you are just like that. On the inside of that tomb, it's full of bones. But on the outside, you paint yourself up really pretty. And you look good for everyone. But on the inside, you're a hypocrite. You're like whitewashed tombs. Now, if you read the seven woes, you think Jesus is hardcore. Man, he's rough. He's calling them out. He's calling them hypocrites. He's calling them fools. He's calling them blind guides. He's saying that you, you have nothing good on the inside of you. And only on the outside do you look good. But you're hypocrites. But listen to the heart of Christ after he confronts them. Matthew 23, the conclusion of the seven woes. He says this, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. What's he saying there? He's saying the nation of Israel, my people. The scribes, the Pharisees, my people. He says, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. What is he saying there? He's saying, you are rejecting me, actively rejecting me. And in your history, you stoned the prophets that came to you to point the way to me. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You have continually rejected my words and you're rejecting me as I'm standing in front of you. And listen to the heart of our Savior. He says this to them. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her. The son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. Oh, Israel, how often? Oh, those who reject, how often? Oh, oh, oh those, this is the heart of Christ. You who are in a, a, a constant state of rejection of Christ, this is the heart of the gospel. How Often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not, you were not willing. And then you see the judgment. See, your house is left to you desolate. They would not come to find refuge under the sun of righteousness, under his wings of healing and comfort and peace. And the Lord of all the creation called out to the scribes and Pharisees, how often I wanted to gather you under my wings, but you were not willing. I thought about a way to illustrate this, to bring it home a little more to us. It's kind of like the parent who's been around the block a few times. or Maybe that grandparent's been around the block a few times. And you get one of your kids and you sit them down next to you. And you say, hey, I want to help you out with the situation. And you call out, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, would you just listen to me? I've been around the block. I know this is pain. Don't go that direction, right? Don't make that decision. Don't make that purchase. Don't do that. And you cry out to them, but they were not, they're not willing. I'll never forget my grandpa. 
Um, my grandmother's not here this morning. I thought she was going to be here this morning, but I'll never forget Sonny Abair. Some of you know Sonny Abair, my grandfather. And, and he was a, a, a pastor years ago. He's since gone home to be with the Lord. He's worshiping the son of righteousness right now. Uh, I'll tell you the time that I'd sit next to him. And he would bribe me to be willing because he'd hand out $100 bills. So I was always willing to go and sit down. Listen to all your wisdom, Papa. But the Lord of all creation is looking at these people that he came and demonstrated to them who he was. And they were not willing to receive him. And then the, the judgment is that their house is left to them desolate. So the truth is this, is that the Lord is still calling today. The Lord is still calling today. So the question is, is will you answer that call? Will you be willing? Will you be willing? Will you come and find forgiveness and healing? Will you come? Will you say yes? Because the truth is this. Rejection of Christ's call will leave us empty. Living our life in this world today without Christ and the son of righteousness rising in our heart will leave us empty. So what happens for those who do fear his name, right? What happens for them? What happens for those who embrace the light of the gospel? What happens for those who hide for safety under the shadow of his wings, right? You've come and you've gotten healing and safety. You're hiding under his shadows. Here's what happens. Look back at the text. You thought I was going to forget about the the calves, right? Leaping out of the stalls. Look back at the text. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings and you shall go out, what? Leaping like calves from the stall. Leaping like calves from the stall. What does that mean? You who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall find healing and mercy and grace and peace. But you'll also be like a calf who's never been let out of the stall. And I found a video to show you what that looks like. Here's what it looks like. Aww. That is an actual video of some calves that have just been let out of a stall for the first time. Isn't that cute? I showed that to Matt Carnes last week. He said, oh, I want to go buy one. (laughs) It's not a puppy. That thing eats a lot more than your puppy does when it gets older, right? What do you see when you see that? You see carefree. You see joy, peace. You You think those calves are worrying about anything right there? Right? They're full of contentment. Oh, may we pray for contentment in our life. Right? We need to be content with where God has us and what he's doing. Right? And you just see that. It made me think of toddlers. You know, we'd lock our kids in a pen. <laughs> and then we let them out. It just reminded me of kids just running around. And they're just free. And they're galloping all over the place. And they're excited and happy and carefree. No worries. This is the reality for those who fear the name of the Lord. Who the, the son of righteousness has risen in our hearts. We find safety and refuge under his wings and we're like calves. I'm not going to demonstrate to you what that looks like. But we're like calves, right? Like, the, like that video. We're carefree. We're full of peace and joy. And I know that it doesn't always feel that way. But at the depth of our hearts, it is the reality. You who fear the Lord. You who embrace Christ not only as a baby born in Bethlehem but a savior who died to take your place 
you who have received Christ, you will find joy, peace, contentment, rest, healing, forgiveness. You'll find everything you've been looking for. So I'll tell you here today, if you're here today, and you've not embraced the light of the world, Jesus Christ, you've not received him, look at what the word of God says can be yours. If you will fear his name. What does it mean to fear his name? It means that you reverence him higher than anything else in this life. You honor him and his son. You, re- you receive him as savior and Lord in your life. You fear his name more than you fear anyone else or anything else. You honor him, reverence him. You can be forgiven today. You can receive the gift of salvation today. And you can find peace and comfort and joy and contentment. Like that calf let out of the stall. No sense of fear. Not worried about where food's going to come from. Not worried about anything but just trusting our Heavenly Father. You, you can say, just like the psalmist David said in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Savior born at Bethlehem. Emmanuel, God with us. The baby becomes a man who dies on the cross takes the punishment for our sins and becomes our shepherd. This is the message of Christmas. This is why we gather. This is why we worship. And the call is to you, to every single one of us, is to receive that call, to answer that call, to embrace Christ so that we can become like those dancing calves, resting in the care of our good shepherd. I know many of you are struggling here today, going through lots of difficulties. The Lord is calling to you. He's saying, let me be your shepherd. Let me, let me come. You come and rest under the shadow of my wings. Would you, receive him t- would you receive him today? Would you close your eyes? As we close today and we finish in prayer, would you close your eyes? I want to pray for you. I want to end in prayer. But before I pray, I just want to ask. Maybe some of you are here for the first time. You've, you've never come to this church. You've been, you were invited to come watch family here children here on stage or come and be a part of a Christmas service. Maybe you're here today and today would be the day that you want to receive the true meaning of Christmas. You want to receive the gift of Christmas, which is Christ born to die, to take your place so you can be forgiven and cleansed and healed and spend eternity with him in heaven. Maybe that's you right now. Maybe you look at that video of that calf and you think, God, I can never be that way. You don't even know what's going on in my life. Well, today I can tell you that if you will receive Christ, I'm not saying that life won't be, continue to be difficult, but I can tell you that, that you will have peace. 
And you can have joy in spite of your circumstances. If that's you here today and you want to acknowledge and to say today that I want to receive Christ today as my Lord and Savior. I want to believe in my heart and confess with my mouth, as Romans 10 says, that Jesus is Lord and you want to be saved, born again here today. Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone here today? You would say that that is you. Yeah, thank you. Anyone else? You say that that's you. You want to receive Christ as your Savior today. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Would you all stand to your feet with me? We're going to close in prayer. The Lord sees your heart, whether you raise your hand or you did not raise your hand. He knows and he sees your heart. I'm going to pray a prayer. I want you to pray it in your heart. Those that don't know the Lord, you're surrendering to him here today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for those who who came to worship. I thank you, Lord, for the reminder of what this season is all about. The Son of Righteousness has risen with healing in its wings. So that we who fear his name can have the light of the gospel to shine and give us purpose and meaning so that we can be like calves let out of the stall full of peace and contentment and joy. I thank you for these realities and I thank you for the ones who came in here today and they're answering that call today to receive Christ as their Savior. God, I pray that they would surrender their heart today, that they would say yes to Christ, that they would repent of their sins and they would receive Christ as Savior of their life. And God, I pray that as we leave here today that as we go about our busy schedules leading up to Christmas, that that we would never forget what this is all about, that we would gather together as family and friends and we would read the Christmas story and we would pray and thank you for what you've done for us through the cross. God, I pray that you would bless your people here today. God, thank you for all that you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.